Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. I want, uh, last week, was that when the first, no. Oh, yeah, youth, you can go. I'm sorry, I'm not used to that on Sunday night. The youth can go to their youth meeting. I'm sorry. Y'all have a good time. They're going to. <laughs> Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I think, let's see, a couple of weeks ago on Sunday morning, I began to minister to you on authority. And then the Lord had us continue that last Sunday night, and I want to continue that tonight. Actually, I have three sermons prepared tonight, so you may be here a long time. <laughs> no, no, I really had to choose. I, I mean, I had to be, I asked the Lord and, and, and uh, what to do and what, what, where to be led. But I'm going to read to you some things tonight. And before we get started, but I, I think this will bless you. I just want to read it because it blessed me. It helped me. It helps just to get a perspective on it. And so uh, if you'll just listen to me as I read to you for a few minutes. It says, as Jesus ministered on this earth, Satan must have looked on in horror. Here Jesus, operating as a man, was taking dominion, speaking and ministering in authority, and by so doing was destroying the works of Satan. 1 John 3, 8 says, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now that doesn't mean that he destroyed the devil. At that, It means that he went around destroying his works. When, when we lay hands on the sick and they get well, family, we just destroyed one of the works of the devil. Amen? And so, uh, let me keep reading. Satan's kingdom was being destroyed, and Satan knew that Jesus must be killed. Deception had worked with the angels. It had worked against Adam and Eve. It had not worked against Jesus. However, once again, Satan used deception. He deceived the religious leaders of that day into demanding Jesus' death. He possessed the body of Judas to accomplish the betrayal, even as he had entered the body of the serpent to accomplish the deception of Adam and Eve. Satan hated Jesus so much that not only did he want him dead, he wanted him tormented. All of Satan's principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, and wicked spirits came to gloat. They must have been preparing for their moment of greatest victory and celebration when their own destruction came. Jesus was betrayed, beaten, crucified. Satan, the great deceiver, was himself deceived. In his blind hatred, he did not realize that he had just caused the death of the person who would by that death and subsequent resurrection utterly defeat him and redeem mankind from the results of their sin. Jesus paid the price for our sin by dying on the cross. He delivered all of our sins, sicknesses, diseases, and infirmities to the place of torments. When all the sin of this world was removed from Jesus, the power of God came on him. The whole world shook during this time of great spiritual warfare. Jesus spoiled Satan and his demons. Satan, since the time of Adam, had been holding men under his authority. Jesus took the keys of authority away from the devil. There were three days of battle. Jesus had said that as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, he would be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The battle was joined between, between Jesus, our substitute, and Satan with his demonic hosts. While Jesus was being nailed to the cross, Satan must have summoned all of his demons to witness this crucial event. This was too important for any of them to miss. As Jesus died on the cross, Satan and his demons must have been preparing in fiendish glee for what they would, thought would be their greatest moment of triumph. It was not enough for Satan to see Jesus' lifeless body hanging on the cross. In blind hatred, Satan must have shouted, He must be cast into the depths of Hades. 
Satan and his demons in their ignorant folly must have begun an exhilarated but short-lived celebration as the gates of hell slammed shut behind Jesus. Jesus, loaded with the horrible sins of all mankind, suffered all the torments of Hades as he helplessly descended to the depths of the bottomless pit. There he stooped and delivered every sin that was or ever would be committed. He buried all of our sins to be remembered no more. Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgression from us. David described what happened to Jesus after his death. Bearing our sins, he seemed helpless as Satan planned his final destruction. He descended to the deepest part of Hades. Here, those who had died in unbelief were held in torment and judgment. Jesus went to hell bearing the penalty and judgment of our sins. Psalm 88 says, I am counted with those who go down to the pit. I am like a man who has no strength. Adrift among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more and who are cut off from your hand. You have laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the depths. David also prophesied about the resurrection of Jesus. Psalm 16, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. When Jesus delivered our sins into the deepest part of the pit, the power of God came upon him. Acts 2.27, Because you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. The gates of hell, or Hades, could not prevail against Jesus. Breaking through the gates of hell, he snatched the keys of death, hell and the grave, away from Satan. The history of ancient battles and the defeat of the enemies gives special insight into the significance of the following verse. Colossians 2.15, Having Armed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Powers and authorities, as we have studied before, are references to Satan's organization of demons. In ancient times, when an army defeated their enemy, they disarmed them, stripped off their clothes, bound them in chains one to another, and in total dishonor marched them back as slaves to the conquering nation. Jesus personally disarmed Satan and every demon. He took their weapons away from them. He stripped off their clothes. He made a public spectacle of them. Those who days early, earlier were celebrating as Jesus hung stripped, naked, and humiliated on the cross were now humiliated in like manner. Satan defeated Adam and Eve and he left them naked. He stripped them of their authority. Satan thought he had defeated Jesus and left him stripped, naked, hanging on the cross. But Jesus defeated Satan and his demons, left them naked, stripped of their authority for all eternity. Having paid the penalty of sin by his death on the cross and delivering our sins to the depths of the pit, Jesus took the death keys of death, hell, and the grave away from Satan. Having defeated Satan and broken his power over death, the tomb could no longer hold Jesus' body. In an explosion of powerful triumph, Jesus arose from the dead, and Satan and every demon had been defeated. Jesus triumphantly ascended back to heaven, and he led captives in his train. Ephesians 4 says, Therefore he says, When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. When Jesus led captivity captive, we have a picture of Jesus as the conquering general leading the defeated enemy in parade. Disarmed, stripped, chained, totally humiliated in plain view before all of the angels of heaven. Satan and every demon was totally defeated and in their total disgrace were made a public spectacle.
When Jesus stripped the keys of authority away from Satan, he took back the keys of authority which Adam, in his disobedience, had surrendered to Satan. As Jesus snatched those keys of authority out of Satan's hand, he disarmed Satan of his authority over mankind and this earth. Jesus had personally defeated Satan and every one of his demons. Certainly there are no words to describe the joy of the heavenly host at the return of God's Son to his rightful place in heaven. How could man describe that victorious return? David was inspired to give us a description of this time. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and lift them up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. The Apostle John gives us Jesus' words as he proclaimed his victory. Revelation 1.18 I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Jesus came into heaven shouting, Father, I have the keys. Satan is defeated and I have the keys. Jesus had the keys of authority in his hand which he had taken away from Satan who had stolen them in the garden when he had deceived Adam and Eve. Jesus had taken the keys back from Satan but he did not keep them. He gave them back to mankind. In the first revelation of the church, Jesus told the disciples that he would give them the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 16, 19, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven in Isaiah there is another reference to keys Isaiah 22 the key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder so he shall open and no one shall shut and he shall shut and no one shall open in the past keys were very large heavy and ornate the wealthy men often carried them on their shoulders because of their weight but more due to their beauty often two or three slaves would follow the wealthy man carrying the keys on their shoulders this was a show of wealth when Isaiah prophesied of the coming of the Messiah, he referred to the significance of the keys being carried on the shoulders. Isaiah 9 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. The keys, the government, and the authority were in Jesus' hands. Jesus took those keys and gave them to his church. The authority on this earth has been restored to mankind. Praise God. Hallelujah. If that don't get you excited, your wood's wet. Hallelujah, but I know yours didn't, so you are excited that God, Jesus has returned our authority to us. Hallelujah. Well, praise God. Praise God. We have something to praise him about, don't we? Thank you, Jesus. We've been talking for about three services now about authority. And so I want to continue that tonight. I wanted to read that to you just to get us a perspective of what Jesus did. Sometimes, you know, we read scriptures and we pick out scriptures here and a scripture there and we don't ever see the complete picture. But reading that in a story form like that was, it kind of gave you the complete picture of what Jesus actually did. Amen? I mean, sometimes we think about Jesus going to hell and we think, well, you know, he went to hell, but we don't think about what he did down there. Oh, I tell you what, I believe we're going to get to watch it on supernatural spiritual video when we get to heaven. I believe we'll get to see Jesus in hell and we'll get to, hallelujah, glory to God. I think we'll get to see just exactly how it happened. And family, it'll be better than any uh, 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 movie that you've ever been to see. I know my kids, they like violence. You know, I'm sorry, but they just like violence. <laughs> they just really do. I mean, they like those Rambos and those, uh, you know, uh, uh, boy, they, they, they like it when it's, uh, you know, uh, uh, 
you know, good triumphs over evil and, and you know, the good guy wins and they, the more that, the more explosions and, and, uh, and things like, no, y'all are looking at me funny, but you guys are all just like that, so I don't know what y'all's problem is. And uh, uh, they like that though. And you know, someday we're going to get to watch that on big screen, aren't we? Yeah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to uh, John chapter 6 and verse 28. So you say here, well, you know, okay, we have our authority back. Jesus got the keys back from Satan. We've got our authority back. But, you know, family, if you're going to walk in your authority, there's, some, there's a basis for your authority. And the basis for your authority is found in John 6 verse 28. There's something you've got to do in order to have authority. In John 6 verse 28 says, Then they said unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God that ye believe. You need to circle that ye believe. That ye believe on him whom he hath sent. There's a basis for your authority, and the basis for your authority is believing. Amen? If you're going to work the works of God, if you're going to walk in His authority, you're going to have to believe. Amen? And to believe, you're going to have to have a renewed mind, aren't you? You're going to have to understand what Jesus did. You're going to have to understand what was accomplished. It's not enough for Miss Debbie just to say, you have authority now, you know, you ought to take authority over that. No, you're going to have to understand the reason, the background, the why. The why you can take authority and why Satan has to obey you. And he does. But if you don't understand why, well, uh, he's not going to obey you for long because he's going to figure out you don't understand. That you're just mimicking somebody else or doing something somebody else told you to do. So you've got to believe. And to believe, you've got to renew your mind. There's something else that you need to do. And that is you've got to deal with fear. You need to deal with fear. You need to aggressively deal with every fear in your life. I don't care how little the fear is. I don't care if it's a fear of a spider. I don't care if it's a fear of a snake. I don't care if it's the fear of a dark or a fear of a mouse. I don't care what the fear is. We need to be decisive and aggressive over every fear. Now, I didn't say you had to like mice. I didn't say you had to like snakes. I didn't say you had to have pet snakes or pet mice. I'm again it myself. I'm again pet, pet gerbils, pet... I'm again pet rodents of every kind. <laughs> I am again it. I mean, to me, all those things. And I even, you know, I have a hard time. I know y'all like squirrels, but I have a hard time. I think squirrels are bushy-tailed rats myself. I, I mean, that's my, that's my description of a squirrel. Uh, feed a squirrel? What would you want to for? I've been mad at squirrels ever since I, right after I moved to Alabama when I was feeding the birds in Trustville. We had a screened-in porch, and, uh, and I fed the, the birds, and I left my bird seed on my screened-in porch, and the little devil, to, <laughs> to put it bluntly, the little devil of a squirrel ate through the screen wire on the porch to get to that bird seed. And, and I walked out on the porch, and there's a squirrel running around in there. Well, you know, I jumped back in the house and dealt with my fear. You know, <laughs> and uh, he said, Michael, come get the squirrel off the porch. <laughs> uh, but we do, we've got to be aggressive over this fear thing. 
We can't have any fear in your, in your life. I have been dealing aggressively for several years now with all fear. Just not letting myself tolerate. Even letting my husband speak into my life. You know, I was used to be, I'm not anymore, but I used to be one of those kind of women that went down the road. <laughs> I was constantly grabbing the dash and stuff. And my husband told me, he said, Debbie, that's fear. All that is is fear. You need to deal with that. And you know, I saw that and I thought, yeah, you know, that is what that is. You know. Now, sometimes I still say, you need to slow down. <laughs> you know, you know us, you men would drive entirely too fast if it wasn't for us wives. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, memory. Thank you. <laughs> Somebody help me. Uh, but we do need to deal with even those kind of fears. Because family, um, have you ever noticed, I know that when I was with Michael, I was real free to express my opinion. But I tell you one time, we got in the car with Pastor Webb. I, wasn't, I didn't show any fear, and I didn't express, I didn't say, Pastor Webb, you really ought to slow down a little. After, even, <laughs> and the man can drive, I can tell you. <laughs> but, you know, it's funny how we can keep our mouth shut and we can get fear under control, you know, when we have a motive. <laughs> Amen. And, oh, praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, I'm out there kind of deep, I think. I didn't mean to. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of power and a spirit of love and a spirit of a sound mind. Family, one thing we need to recognize is fear is a spirit. Now let me just say it to, this, to you this way, because sometimes we say spirit of fear, and we're just not even really sure what we're saying here. But family, fear is a demon spirit. And fear is a master demon spirit. I mean, he's one of the higher up spirits. A lot of things that you deal with in your life come under that spirit. And so you got to deal with it. See, fear is really faith in the negative. That's why what you fear most comes upon you. is because when you're in fear, you're releasing negative faith. You're believing that something bad's going to happen. You're believing something bad's going to happen. And so you start releasing faith, and faith released starts to produce. It starts to bring things to you. If you're a fear of a car, if you have fear of car wrecks, you're, you're releasing a negative faith all the time. Right. And faith works. Right. Faith works. Faith is a principle that works. <laughs> so you're releasing those negative faith vibes, those faith. Uh, Spirits, you're releasing that out of your life, and so you're just drawing things in. So you release the fear of lack, and guess what comes to your life? Lack. You know, there's people that have a fear of rejection. They fear that you're going to reject them, so reject them. So they are releasing this negative faith all the time that somebody's going to reject them, and guess what they get? Rejection. I mean, it, it's like it emanates out of them and comes over on you and gives kids on you and causes you to reject them. Amen. Amen. And so we got to deal with these things decisively in our lives because these, this is something that, that works against our authority. See, we've got to take authority over the devil in faith and not in fear. See, you can quote the word even, and if you're quoting it in fear, the Satan won't obey you. 
You can stand and quote the word in fear and it doesn't, it won't, it won't work. The word of God must be quoted in faith. So you can be walking around saying, by his stripes I am healed, by his stripes I am healed. He sent his word and healed me. You can be walking around quoting the word in fear and the word won't work in your life. It must be quoted in faith. Do y'all see what I'm saying? Y'all are following me. Praise God. In 1 John, we just had reference to that scripture in that I read. 1 John 3, 8, it says, For this reason was the Son of God manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus, as a man, he went around taking dominion, and he spoke, and he ministered in authority, and he went around undoing and untying and unloosing the works of the devil, didn't he? I mean, didn't he open blind eyes? Isn't that destroying a work of the devil? Didn't he cause the crippled man to walk? Isn't that undoing a work of the devil? Amen. Didn't he cause the woman with the spirit of infirmity that had been bowed over 18 years to be straightened up? Isn't that untying and unloosing and undoing a work of the devil? I mean, that's what he did. That's why he says, this, For this reason was the Son of God manifest that he might undie, untie, undo, unloose the works of the devil. Well, guess what? In that same book, 1 John, turn over to 1 John chapter 4. I want you to see this. First John chapter 4, verse 17. It says, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. As he is, so are we in this world. Family, guess who's supposed to be going around untying, undoing, and unloosing the works of the devil? Hallelujah. Praise God. You are. We are. This is our job. We're a continuation of Jesus' work in the earth. Amen? Amen? Praise God. Now turn over to Mark chapter 11. Just giving you some thoughts on authority tonight. On your authority. I don't know about you, but this has stirred me up. I've been, I've been taking some authority at home. You know, you can get real passive about your authority. You, you, we need to be reminded. We have to, the Bible says we got to bring, we got to come back under the word of God and hear these things that we've heard before. We heard, and we got to be refreshed in them. Amen. How many of you know we can let things slip? He, Hebrews talks about letting those things slip. We can let things slip. And you know, I've been refreshed in this and I've been taking some authority at my house. I hope you have. Mark 11, verse 23. We read this, I think, tonight, didn't we? Verse 23, For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Okay. Now let's read verse 24. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Now a lot of times, family, when we've read verse 23 and 24, we just kind of run them both together. You know, we just kind of run those together. But the Holy Ghost spoke something to me one day, and it just really gave me understanding. I was praying one day, and I heard the Holy Ghost say the command of faith. The command of faith. And so I thought about that, and I realized that Mark 11:23 23 is the command of faith. 
Look at that. Look, it's the command of faith. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Do you realize that's the command of faith? That there is not one thing said anything in there about praying? It's not talking about praying. It's talking about the command of faith coming out of your mouth. Then if you look in Mark eleven twenty four, 24, he, he actually really changes the subject. And he begins to show us the prayer of faith. See, family, there's the command of faith, and then there's the prayer of faith. And we ought not to get the two mixed up. See, when the, we pray the prayer of faith, we believe that we receive whatever we've desired and what we've prayed for. We believe we receive it when we pray, and the Bible says that we shall have it. That is the prayer of faith. Now, we've got to have understanding here. We've got to understand when to use the command of faith and when to use the prayer of faith and not mix the two up because when the body of Christ mixes the two up, they, get, they don't get the right results. See, because there's certain things that you don't need to pray about. I'll tell you, one of, anything that Jesus bought for you on the cross, anything the Word of God promises you, there is no need to pray for. So that means you don't need to pray for healing. There's no need to pray for healing. Y'all are looking at me like a dog with a new pan, but I'm telling you, if we'd be listening, Brother Hagen, Brother Caps, Brother Copeland been teaching us this for years, but you know, on some of us it's just now soaking in that we don't have to pray for healing. You don't have to pray for healing for yourself. You've got, you, Jesus already bought it. You don't ask God for anything he already gave you. See, we take the command of faith. We take our authority in Christ Jesus. But now there's other things that we need to pray for and we need to ask for. And when we ask, we believe we receive. Amen. You know, there's certain things we just can't do. But there's some things we can do. I'm going to give you some examples here from the Word of God because I don't want to just leave you hanging in this. Um, God won't do for us what He's given us the authority to do. God won't rebuke the devil for you. Hello. Amen. God won't take authority over Satan for you. God won't send... Have you ever heard anybody pray, Father, now I just ask you to bind the devil and I just ask you to send him back to hell. Have you ever heard anybody ask? I have heard people pray those prayers, probably prayed them myself at some time in one of my former days. I don't remember it, you know, but I'm sure that I prayed every other ignorant prayer that ever was. There was. I mean, I know I did because I didn't know anything, you know. And, you know, really, we won't, we'd like to send Satan back to hell, but we've asked Jesus to do that. Well, God can't answer that prayer. Amen. That's right. And so, we, and, and so there's things that, that we've asked Jesus to do that he can never do. There's prayers we've prayed that he can't answer because he gave us the authority to do it. Amen. Amen. There's prayers that, there's things that we've asked him to do that he, that he, he says you do them. Remember Paul said, he said uh, that there, you know, remember that, um, that thorn in the flesh that was following him around town? You know, it was a messenger of Satan, the word says. And the Bible says that Paul told it on himself. He said, and I beseech the Lord thrice, three times, to, to get rid of that thing for me. And did God ever get rid of it for him? No. no. What God came back and told him is, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, Paul, I've given you the authority to take care of this thing. And you know what? Finally he did. 
Finally, he turned around and took authority over that thing. See, every town he came into, there was, a, a, there was demon spirits that harassed him. Y'all remember the little girl that followed him around and, and you know, he, she, the Bible says she had a spirit of divination. The Bible says she followed him around saying, uh, and you know how demons don't talk like humans. Demons talk in little whiny voices out of their nose. And you know, how would you like for somebody to walk around behind you all day every day saying, these are servants of the most high God. <laughs> I mean, they were speaking the truth about Paul, but I mean, do you want somebody following you around all every day, every day, speaking in that little tone of voice? I mean, this was getting to him, you know. But finally Paul turned around and took authority over that thing and cast that demon spirit out of her, delivered her from that spirit of divination. She would have been a fortune teller. She had, she had earned her living. You know, she was like a slave. She was owned by some, uh, I guess, men in the town. And, you know, she earned money for them by telling fortunes and by operating in that spirit of divination. In an uproar and mad at Paul because he cast that spirit out of her. And she couldn't, do, she couldn't earn her living that way anymore. Hallelujah. I mean, praise God. God wasn't going to take care of it for him. Family, it's not just that God won't take care of it for you. We just read this. God can't take care of it for you. Because remember we just read, Jesus got those keys away from Satan, and he didn't keep them. He gave them back to mankind. Amen? You have to take authority. You have to stand your ground. You have to deal with Satan. God's never going to deal with Satan for you. Amen? Praise God. I mean, we want him to. But family, you know, we've just, the, the church has just cried and wailed and wept and, and slung snot. And I mean, it's just really the truth. We have, I tell you what, you know, the Bible says that God bottles all those tears. Dear Lord, heaven is full of the tears of the saints. Well, we got to just rise up. Amen. It, and, and you know your authority, so you just got to take it. Amen. Praise God. Well, um, let me give you some examples of this. In, um, let me look, let's look over here in Exodus chapter 23. I, I'm just going to give, I, got, I thought of a couple of examples, and so let's look at this. In Exodus chapter 23, how many of you realize that Exodus is in the Old Testament? How many of you realize that things changed after Jesus died on the cross and resurrected from the dead that we cannot use the Old Testament. We can, we can look to the Old Testament for principles and we can look to the Old Testament for some things, but we cannot live out of the Old Testament that we have to live out of the epistles, that Paul wrote the epistles to the church to show us how to live. Paul and some other men wrote the epistles to the church, predominantly Paul. In Exodus 23, verse 25, it says, And ye shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless thy bread and thy water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. Well, praise God, this is a wonderful healing scripture, but in the Old Testament it says that God blessed their bread and their water. Now, I heard Colin tell a story one time about some, some idiot from Rhema. I mean, not all Rhema. I didn't mean that bad like that. Most Rhema people are wonderful, but, you know, every once in a while they graduate an idiot up there and some idiot up there well they do it it's not brother Hagen's fault I mean he'll be the first to tell you uh, 
And uh, this guy, though, he said, man, he didn't even pray over his food anymore because God blessed his bread and his water and, uh, and took sickness away from the midst of him. Well, he should have read the New Testament because let's turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 4. See, God's not going to take care of your food for you. So you better get over your embarrassment or you're going to be puking your toenails up with tomain poisoning. Well, you are. I mean, if you're ashamed of God and you can't bless your food in a restaurant, I feel sorry for you. I mean, I feel really sorry for you. Because in this day and age, I hope all you get is tomain. I mean, you've got to count yourself fortunate if that's all you catch. If you're embarrassed and you can't bless your food in a restaurant. Now, I know none of you are like that. But family, there's a lot of the body of Christ that are ashamed of that. I mean, I've been with some of them. I've been with some Christians when we ate with them, and Michael and I said, can we pray over this food? And it was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they all got real uncomfortable, you know. Y'all know any of them? Y'all don't have any people like that, huh? Well, I know some. Um, why do I get to meet all these people? Y'all don't get to meet <laughs> I guess it's just an anointing I carry. <laughs> First Timothy chapter 4, verse 4. It says, uh, for every creature of God is good. Did y'all notice that, even the pig? For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Okay? Now, God's not going to do for you what you are called to do. So when you pray, he said first, I mean, when you go to sanctify your food, the first thing he said is you're to give thanks for it. Well, that, you, you, you've got to give thanks. God's the one that provided the food in this earth, isn't he? Yes. So we thank God for our food. Amen. Amen? And so we receive it with thanksgiving. We're grateful for it. We thank God for it. But then he says it's to be sanctified by the word of God. Well, I'm going to tell you something, family. God's not going to sanctify your food. You're the ones that's got to sanctify the food. So sometimes we, you know, and I'm not trying to be a nitpicker here, and so I don't want you to think I am. I don't want you to get paranoid and say, well, we can't ask the pastor over for lunch or dinner or anything because, you know, we might not pray right. I'm not trying to be nitpicking, but I'm trying to teach you some principles of authority here. That it's not God. God gave you the authority to sanctify your food. And so you don't say, God, will you sanctify it, please? You thank him for it, but you don't say, God, would you please sanctify this food? No, you say, I command, I demand, and you can command it, you can demand it, or you can just say it. I say that this food is sanctified by the word of God in Jesus' name. And, and, and because the Holy Ghost, no other reason, this isn't in the word, but the Holy Ghost said to me one day, declare your food clean and holy. He spoke that to me. And so I told y'all and I've told our family. And so now we all say, when we, we say we sanctify this food by the word of God and we declare it to be clean and holy. Amen. See, it's up to you. You have to take the authority. God, God... There's some things you can't do. Now, if you're believing God, uh, if you're believing, have you ever had too many for dinner and you needed him to multiply it? Hey, you can't do that. How many of you realize you can't do it? That he has to multiply food. How many of you know he can do it? Y'all are acting like, I don't think he could do that. I don't think he would do that. Well, certainly he would. 
I know I was reading about this little this group of YWAMers one time. How many of you know what? Does anybody know what YWAM is? But uh, but us, youth with a mission. Uh, and it's a the, it's a young people usually under the age of 30 that they bring together train and to go out on the mission field. Well, these these missionary YWAMers they're traditionally pretty poor. They hadn't got the word of faith message yet, and uh, and so. Uh, they were, boy, they were on a youth trip, and they uh, didn't have enough food, but they had this pot of spaghetti. Well, God kept multiplying this spaghetti. I mean, I tell you, it was the never-ending pot of spaghetti. They would heat that spaghetti up, you know, and that night they, they'd put the leftovers in the refrigerator, they, and they'd heat it up the next night, serve everybody, put the leftovers in the refrigerator, heat it up the next night, serve everybody, put the leftovers. This thing, this was the spaghetti pot that never ran dry. But the only thing is, these YWAMers, they got so tired of spaghetti that one night they finally just went and dumped the leftovers in the trash. They had to stop this multiplication thing because we cannot stand spaghetti any longer. Amen. See, God can multiply food, and he will. Praise God. You can't do that. So you better pray the prayer of faith if you need spaghetti multiplied. Amen. But if you need it sanctified, you better speak the command of faith. Amen. You better get in faith over your food. If you're not in faith over it, don't eat it. Have you ever been in, not in faith over some food before? Well, I could probably take you to some houses in Tuscaloosa that could get you out of faith real quick over food. Not any in this church. But I tell you, I've been in some. And you could get out. Don't eat if you can't eat in faith. The Bible says, whatsoever is not of faith is what? Sin. Sin. Have you ever been in a restaurant and all of a sudden you didn't have faith for it? I didn't have faith for food in Russia. I had faith for bread. And that's all. I really, I went 10 days on bread and water. You can do it. Amen. I, I just didn't have faith for it. I just, there's something, I don't know. It's just, you know, mm, I don't know what it was. <laughs> I just didn't have faith. I tell you what, though, there were people just in our group just chowing down on it and just, this is good. Man, this is good. Well, they probably had been to India or something, you know, and this sounded good after, you know, or maybe they'd been to China or something, but, and this sounded good. But I tell you, I had never been, well, I had had one foot over into Mexico just about. We went into Juarez one time, went over into, on our honeymoon. My, I wanted to go to Juarez. I don't know why I wanted to go to Juarez. Y'all know where Juarez is? Across from El Paso. And uh, so we went across there. I'm telling you what, I drug him out of Mexico. We walked so fast. I mean, it was like, get me out of this place. You know, and so I was a little culture shocked in Russia, and I didn't have faith for it. So I ate their bread, and I drank bottled water. I didn't have faith to drink the water. So I didn't drink the water. We drank bottled water. Amen. But, you know, there were people just guzzling that water down. But, you know, one night I got so excited. You know, there's no ice in, in Russia, hardly any ice. You just can't get ice. You can hardly get ice in Europe. They say you can't get ice in some of these northern states, hardly, of the United States. I've actually heard that. I mean, they, I'm not, not that you can't get it, but it's just they don't put the emphasis on it that we put on the south. I mean, we want everything with a lot of ice, you know. 
And boy, I tell you what, we went like, you know, you get over there about 14 days and hadn't seen an ice cube. Well, one night we went in, we went to a motel, or hotel, excuse me, over there, and so they brought this crystal dish out full of ice. Everybody at our table screamed. I mean, it was like, ice! You know, oh my! You know, because we were all Southerners. They were Louisiana people, and we were Texas people. And, uh, you know, I forgot that ice is water, and I ate ice. <laughs> <laughs> and I had faith for it and it didn't hurt me amen and then later after I got home from Russia I thought that was water <laughs> you know oh dear praise God okay here's another thing turn over to Malachi chapter 3 well you know you've got authority and God's not going to do for you what you are supposed to do, what he's given you the authority to do. He can't do for you what he's given you the authority to do. Malachi chapter 3, verse 11. We refer to this scripture a lot. and Pastor, In fact, Pastor referred to it tonight. And he actually said this very thing to you. He says in verse 11, And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. He's talking there about for the tither. And of course we know this is an Old Testament scripture. He's saying, If, if you'll tithe, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes. But how many of you know in the New Testament, that God doesn't rebuke the devourer for us anymore. Who has he given the authority to rebuke the devourer? Family, just go to any church in town and, I can, and you can prove God doesn't rebuke the devourer for our sakes anymore because there's tithers in every church in town that Satan's just eating their lunch. Hello. And how many of you have been in the place of a tither and before and somebody wasn't rebuking the devourer? See, we have to rebuke the devourer. And we've been given authority. Now, let me tell you this. God backs us up. Amen? I know when we first got baptized in the Holy Ghost, we began to get a revelation of all these things. And we were farmers at that time. And uh, pastors told you this, but uh, worms got into the cotton in, in all over Gaines County. The worms, or I guess all over the South Plains of Texas, the, the, the worms were bad. And so, but you know, we, it was our first year being baptized in the Holy Ghost. We were fired up about this word thing. And so we took out this scripture and we went out to the field and we took a bottle of oil and we took authority over Satan and we told him, no, you're not coming in our field. And we went to all four corners and we anointed that bottle with oil. Now the oil was just symbolic, you understand. But we took our authority and we said, worms, you can't come in our field. And you know what? They didn't. God backed us up. See, God's the one that backs you up. But you have to take the authority. You have to rebuke the devourer. Amen? And you know, there's a lot of ways Satan devours. One way, a, a one way Satan will devour a lot of your money is through sickness. Just go to the doctor. Have you been recently? And then go to the pharmacy after that. Well, you know, sometimes when we have insurance, we, we just, uh, you know, we forget how that is a, such a devouring thing. But it, it can be a real devourer. And you know, there's other things. You know, he'll devour sometimes by, by causing things not to work at your house and repair bills and things like that. You know you have a right for your stuff to work. Amen. You have a right, and you, but, but you're going to have to take some authority. You need to take some authority with the blood of Jesus and begin to speak the blood of Jesus on your property and that, that no evil comes on your property and that Satan can't steal from you and he can't destroy your property. And, that, and you know what I'm talking about? 
take some authority. Hallelujah. You know, he can devour things by causing you to miss work. That can be a devouring thing. Sometimes it's not. I know some of you get 29, six days a year and 16 weeks of vacation. And I mean, y'all are blessed and I'm proud for you. But not everybody gets that. Sometimes it gets in your pocketbook when you have to miss work. Amen. Well, you take authority. Amen. See, we got to run Satan off. And we got to tell him to take his hands off of our kids. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, y'all are going to do that, aren't you? In James chapter 4, verse 7, it says that if we will submit ourselves to God, that he will rebuke the devourer for us, right? Y'all are asleep or you don't know the word. Which one is it? Yes. Yes. We submit ourselves to God and then we resist the devil and he flees. Amen. Well, most of the body of Christ is not resisting. We got to resist. We got to resist. And we got to hold our ground. Amen. Amen. Well, when you first, I tell you what, you can get where Satan obeys you immediately. You know, we're trying to train our little dog right now, and she don't obey immediately. I'm telling you, she doesn't obey immediately. Immediately. She doesn't even obey in three minutes or five minutes. And, I mean, this is the most, you don't know whether to whip them when they don't obey because you're going, this is a dog brain. Does this dog brain understand that you're getting a whipping because you don't obey? And it's hard, you can't sit down and explain it to them like you can a child. Now, you're getting this spanking because when mama called you, you ran the other way. So, you know, I go through the, so sometimes it's like I need to reward her for coming and then sometimes she made me so mad that I whip her anyway for running the other way. You know, so it's like I'm, I'm kind of back and forth between the two. Well, the body of Christ, you know, sometimes we just, we haven't taken authority over Satan and when we first start taking authority over him, he kind of backs up to see if we really know what we're talking about and if we really mean it. But you can get to the place where you've got him trained. That when you said get, he gets. Hello. Praise God. When he knows that you mean it. Hallelujah. I want to give you some conditions tonight for your authority. So I'm going to start out and just tell you some things. The first condition for your authority is that you must be born again. Did you know you don't have any authority unless you're born again? And you say, well, Debbie, this seems you know, kind of redundant. I don't know why you would tell us that that you must be born again to, to have authority. I mean, everybody knows that. But family, I've seen Christians just like us, just, I mean, I'm talking about just like us, baptized in the Holy Ghost. I've actually heard them do this. I've actually heard uh, people say to people that were non-Christians, say, you, ought to, you just ought to take authority over that sore throat. I've heard people tell people to take authority that don't have authority because they're not born again. Family, nobody has authority unless they're born again. Okay? Number two, the second thing is, it, the condition of authority is that you need to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. In Luke chapter 24, verse 49, I'll read that to you real quick. Luke 24, 49, Jesus told the disciples, he said, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. He said, you're going to have to have the baptism of the Holy Ghost to have power. Amen? Amen. Yes. 
Well, family, I, I, I'll tell you that you've got to have the baptism of the Holy Ghost to even see the concept. I don't know what it is. I can't explain this. I just know this from experience that I couldn't even see these things when I was just saved. I got saved when I was 10 years old. And I was in a denominational church uh, until 1980. That was until I was 27, if y'all want to figure that out. And uh, until I was 27 years old, I was in a denominational church, and I couldn't even understand the concept. I know, my, I know I didn't. My grandmother would try to tell us things like this. It's like I couldn't see it. It's like the minute I got baptized in the Holy Ghost, all of a sudden I could see things. And I couldn't see it before. And all of a sudden I, I, couldn't, I didn't have very little understanding in the Word of God. You could have read the Bible all day to me and I wouldn't have had very little understanding. Just very little understanding. Amen. But all of a sudden, got baptized in the Holy Ghost and the Word of God came alive. And I saw. I saw my authority. I began to see the, about the name of Jesus. I began to see about the blood of Jesus. I began to see things in the Word of God. Well, you need to be baptized in the Holy Ghost or you're never going to be very good. Now, the fact is that even if you're just saved, you do have authority. But you're not ever going to have a great deal of understanding in it. You're not going to have the power to, to stand up in that authority unless you're baptized in the Holy Ghost, okay? Okay, number three, you need to be submitted to God yourself. You know, we read that in James, or we quoted from James chapter 4 a while ago where it says that we submit ourselves to God and then we resist the devil and he flees. See, if you're not submitted to God, did you know the devil knows it? If you're not submitted to God by being a doer of the word, see, you're not submitted if you're not doing the word. And if you're not submitted to God, the devil knows it. And he's not going to obey you. Hallelujah. Turn over to Acts chapter 19. Acts 19, and we're going to look at verse 13. It says, uh, or y'all aren't there yet. I'll hold off just a second. It says in Acts 19, 13, Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them, which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. Now look there, they're using the name of Jesus. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And the man in whom this evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Hello. You've got to be submitted to God yourself. Family, you know God, you've heard this before, God doesn't have grandchildren. You can't take authority over Satan because Grandma knows God. Amen? And you know, just using the name of Jesus isn't enough. You've got to be submitted to God yourself. You've got to know God. Because this, this, this evil spirit answered him back and said, I know Paul and I know uh, Jesus, but who in the world are you? And then he took all... Hey, did y'all notice that? That one evil spirit... Stripped the clothes off of and beat up seven men. Evil spirits have superhuman strength. Amen. But I tell you what, they're no match for the believer who knows who they are in Christ and who's submitted to God. 
Hallelujah. So you need to be submitted to God. And the fourth one is to know who you are in Christ. See, you've got to know who you are. You've got to know you have authority. You've got to know I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You've got to know Satan doesn't have any right here. You've got to be free from condemnation. You've got to know. See, that's why it's important that you be in church, and you are. It's because... Um, you know, pastors preached one time, I know, on there's therefore no condemnation. If you're walking around under condemnation, you won't feel like you can even take authority over Satan. You'll feel like you deserve this. And you'll let him walk. Anybody ever let Satan walk on you because you really felt like you deserved it? Hello. I know I have. Well, we got to know who we are in Christ. we got to be obedient to the Word. In 1 John 3, 1 John chapter 3. Got you a scripture on being obedient to the word here and the authority that it gives us. 1 John chapter 3 and verse uh, 21. It says, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then, it, then have we confidence toward God. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have we confidence toward God. See, if we are obedient to the word and we know that we've been obeying the word of God, we'll have a confidence about us. And if we know, you know, if our heart's condemning us because we've been listening to the preacher preach and we know we hadn't been doing it. Or we know we've been over there in sin. Now, I'm not talking about sinning. We all sin. And we all have to come under the blood of Jesus and ask for forgiveness all the time. Amen. But I'm talking about somebody that's living a lifestyle of sin. I'm talking about somebody that's over there and they're over there in adultery. Did you know that they won't have any confidence? Because they know they're doing wrong. Hello. Hello. Praise God. Or any number of other things that are sin. See, when we sin, it strips us of our confidence. So that's why it's important when you sin that we go to 1 John 1, 9 and we ask God to forgive us of our sin and we get clean of that sin. Family, but you know what? You're going to have to use your faith to walk free from sin. I have to release my faith when I go over to 1 John 1, 9. I have to just make it by an act of my will. I just believe, God, that you did forgive me. And I just believe that I'm forgiven. And I just believe that I'm cleansed. Now, I can't see any difference. And a lot of times, did you, have you noticed that when you repent of sin, you don't really feel any different? But that doesn't mean he didn't cleanse me. And I just have to have faith in the Word of God. That He cleansed me. And now I have a confidence again. See, I'm putting my faith over in the Word of God. This is such a faith walk. This is such a faith life. You'll never do any of this without faith. You can't even get forgiven of your sins without faith. Because otherwise, you're just going gonna, gonna to keep repenting. Did you know anybody that ever repented of the same sin over and over and over again and maybe walked under the condemnation of it for years and years and years and years and years? And you know, even, even Satan whip you down so far. You know, maybe not even really have any specific sin in your life, but just, just feel like, well, I could have just done so much better. I could have just done so much more. I just could have just done so much better and so much more. Y'all, family, that's just the enemy. That's just the devil. We got to rise up in faith and believe that the word of God, that the word of God is true. And that when I ask Jesus to forgive me, family, he forgives me. And I am sin free. 
It's just as though I never sinned. He doesn't even remember it anymore. And I don't care what it was. I don't care if it was murder. I don't care if it was adultery. I don't care if it was child abuse. I don't care what it was. There's not anything the blood of Jesus won't cleanse us from. And even the littlest things He'll cleanse us from. And you know, we need to, while I'm on the subject, we need to quit repenting of the ifs. Well, Lord, if I failed you, forgive me. Well, there's no faith in that. You don't know if you failed him or not. What you need to say is, God, if I failed you, show me and I'll repent. And if he doesn't show you anything, assume you're sin free. Assume you're sin free. See, you walk under a burden of sin. I'm saying all this because you walk under this burden and this condemnation of sin. Guess who's going to walk all over you and you're not going to take authority over them? Isn't that right? Praise God. Um, the number six is do you got to use the rules of authority. Did you all know that there's some rules of authority? you got to use the rules of authority. The Bible says that, we, that what we do, we do in the name of Jesus. You can't cast out a demon in the name of Pastor Michael. You can't cast one out in the name of, of, of Apostle Paul. Hello. You can't cast him out in the name of Kenneth Copeland. You can't even cast him out in the name of Father God. You can't cast a demon out in the name of the Holy Ghost. There's just one name. Under heaven and earth that causes every knee to bow and every, knee and every tongue to confess. And that's the name of Jesus. You need to get used to using the name of Jesus. I tell you, I know Christians that can't hardly say Jesus. I'm telling you what, demons have to flee at that name. And we have, that's one of the rules. That's one of the rules. And you know, while we're on the subject, in 1 John 5, 14, y'all are in 1 John, just turn over a page. It says, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Now, how many of you know that, there's a, that a lot of the scriptures in the Bible are double truths? In other words, there's more than one truth in the scripture. And of course, that scripture, we've taught it this way, and this, it does mean this, that when we ask if when we know the will of God and we ask according to His will, He hears us. But there's another interpretation of that scripture that's equally true, and it's this. And this is the confidence.